0: Believing in God Almighty, the Creator, is natural and congenital. It is the default way of thinking. It does not need reasoning or explaining to arrive at its conclusion. It does not need to be proven. It is the normal and proper outflow of life. Unbelief, however, is a choice. In order not to believe, one must go against the grain, so to speak. It is not natural. It stands in opposition to inborn intelligence, observation, evidence in the world around us, and requires a conscious and aberrant, unnatural decision. By virtual definition, it is rebellion, rejection and pride, rebellion because it is a choice to deny the natural and created order, rejection because it defies truth, and pride because it presumes to know more or better than the one who designed and brought everything into being and is sovereign. Let us delve into this for a moment so that we can see the truth and objectivity, rather than opinion and subjectivity, of that statement. My purpose here is not to win an argument, nor is it to push a worldview. It is to take information that we have at hand and pursue it thoughtfully, honestly, and rationally to arrive at a conclusion. To believe in the existence, authority, and sovereignty of God from the previous and opposing viewpoint of an atheist, agnostic, or otherwise professing unbeliever, is to return one to his prior and proper state, to his or her default, and manufacturer settings, or to reboot his or her mind and return it to the way it was originally made. In other words, it takes a purposeful and intentional act on the part of the person who claims unbelief to arrive at that mindset. It is not a result of passivity, or mental coercion, but rather activity. One does not arrive at atheism, secular humanism, relativism, or any other non God centered order of thought, speech, or action without a deliberate, self willed choice. To use a word picture or a practical, real world example to illustrate this point, think of it this way You may see a person with blue, green, or purple hair. He or she, for whatever reason, decided they didn't like their own hair color. He or she then decided they would go somewhere to have it dyed or to do it themselves at home. We know from history, science and several thousands of years of observation that these alternate hair colors are not the product of our DNA coding, nor are they the way any of us looks, according to nature, as we come out of the womb and grow and develop. It is a result of being unhappy, displeased or otherwise discontent with the normal and good created order. We must make a conscious selection and then act upon it. Further, we must continue to make that sentient and premeditated choice to maintain that hue of our hair. If not, as it grows, our given hair color will resurface and take over. That's innate. It's the norm and standard. It's suitable and appropriate and fitting. This process of inclining the mind to the abnormal and the antithetical on an ongoing basis becomes a type of stronghold, an almost inaccessible place to enter and to correct. It has a subtle way of perpetrating our psyches with a varied combination of half-truths, deceptions and full-blown lies which we want to believe because, among other things, It convinces us that we need things that falsely promise to please and satisfy, yet are very short-lived, and always come with a price that outweighs the value we place on these initial desires. Sooner or later, we find our minds and hearts conforming to ideas that were once foreign to us that we should have rejected, but continue to entertain. Our souls get indoctrinated, recalibrated and alienated from what we know to be true and right. Many times, emotional pain drives us to try to make sense of the cause of a horrible experience. When we can't or don't receive what we believe to be a suitable answer from whatever source we seek, our defense mechanisms kick in and immediately assign blame to one whom we know to be an authority, in one way or another, over us. Why? Because we believe that person or being has the power to keep it from happening. This is a very common occurrence. Blame gives us temporal and false satisfaction in that it deceptively alleviates our pain, convinces us we are not to blame for the action, if we truly are, and excuses our responsibility and accountability in the process if not dealt with openly and honestly but, rather, suppressed, the guilt we transfer displace or assign to the perceived object of our condemnation leaves our hearts hard and calloused and bitter, quite often into our adult years, if not for a lifetime. We can attach culpability to parents, teachers, law enforcement, clergy or the government but, most often, we do so to Almighty God. That's easy enough to understand, even if untrue, because God is the beginning of all authority and all forms thereof, and there is no one higher on that scale to lash out at and a sign that misplaced accountability. That wrongful reasoning and unbelief are only further embedded in one's mind when he or she does not know him, can't hear him and can't see him. As in the movie, A Case for Christ, based on the best-selling book by the same name, the author, Lee Strobel, was an all-out atheist. He and his father had an implied, yet not implicitly stated, relationship that was strained, to say the least. This seems to have led Lee to fully embrace a staunch, unbelieving worldview and it does seem to lend some credence to what I have heard many times before, true or false, you can decide that for yourselves if this is part of your experience, and that is that one's view of authority and God the Father is clouded by the relationship one has had with one's earthly father. For instance, your Father is head of the household and our Heavenly Father is head over all of mankind and creation. Your Father provides safety and protection from harm, that is not self-inflicted, and our Father above is a refuge, a sanctuary, a stronghold and a shield and buckler to those who obey and do not reject him our earthly fathers are to provide for us in terms of food shelter and clothing our divine designer and father gives us these things and many more freely because he loves us unconditionally in the garden of eden after adam and eve sinned and were ashamed because of their nakedness our heavenly father provided for them by making coverings of animal skins eden was full of trees and vegetation for food they lacked nothing and they were able to build shelters-slash-homes from the materials the Lord gave them in nature. So whether you have a knowledge of these things from the Word of God or not, it is understandable to see where you, especially if you don't know how good, loving, faithful and steadfast the Eternal Father is, might make a parallel in your heart between your Father and the Father. Then, you or others might very well attribute the traits of your natural Father, whom you can see, onto and over the personality and character of your supernatural Father, whom you can't see. In another place in Mr. Strobel's intriguing film, he sets out on a two-year journalistic and investigative quest to disprove the claims of the Bible and to prove that his unbelief and atheism are warranted. In one particular scene in exchange with one of the many experts, both for and against Christianity, he has spoken with at length, the person he is interviewing poses Lee what is a perfectly apt and logical question which, quite frankly, gets absolutely straight to the heart of the matter without animosity or arrogance. He asks, at what point is all the evidence enough? By this, he means to express that with all of Mr. Strobel's, and perhaps your, prejudicial feelings, with all the research he has done, with all of the unanticipated answers he has found, with all of the historical and archaeological proof others have unearthed and placed before him, when does he finally realize and acknowledge the truth of everything and submit, rather than to stubbornly, emotionally and defiantly persist, to the claims he has worked so diligently, yet vainly to counter? Absolutely, a fantastic and common-sense thing to ask. What prompts this gentleman to ask this question is that, after speaking to Strobel and hearing his comments, and understanding what doubts and prejudices underlie his inquiries, and knowing from their exchange as well as those of many others Lee has had prior to this one, including documented testimonies, verified medical reports, historical proofs and archaeological discoveries, a plethora of evidence from many sources across a wide human spectrum, virtually all of which are secular, there comes a point where you have to ultimately ask yourself, Is my unbelief more reliable than the information and knowledge I have accumulated to the contrary? If you answer yes, where does the authority of the source of your unbelief come from and is it correct? If you answer no, then your persistence in cynicism, incredulity, distrust, and dubiety are unfounded. What then? You are left with only two choices. One, to set out on a continual and intentional hard hearted, foolish, stiff necked, stubborn, and eternally perilous path despite the invalidation and refutation of your original position. I don't use these words to be mean spirited, but the Bible uses these words and they are accurate, even if a bit hard to chew. Or, to confront the source of your disbelief honestly and to acquiesce to the truth, ask the Heavenly Father's forgiveness, which He has been patiently waiting to lavish upon you, receive it with deep gratitude, confess the sins that by now have most probably convicted you, submit to and acknowledge the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and receive a new and soft heart in exchange for your old heart of stone. You will be a new creation and become a son or daughter of the Most High. Freedom and unburdening await you. God bless you.